Hey everyone, welcome back to Citywide Blackout, bringing you the best creators from around the world. I'm your host, Max Bowen. I love a good comic, as you all know, so this episode is one I am very happy to share. Douglas Knight, founder of Cross Eye Comics, joins me to talk about his new series, Chiasm. It's the story of his life, well, sort of. It's got a strong real-life connection, and Doug and I talk all about how that influenced the story. Now, there's currently a Kickstarter going for the series, and it runs until August 28th. The cool thing is, it's already well past the goal, but support it anyway. And Doug talks about what it means to have such support from the fans and readers. He talks about working as a comic artist while being legally blind, and how he's developed his own unique and very cool style. We are talking about one of my favorite things in the world, and that is comics, particularly indie comics, particularly the soon-to-be-released issue number zero of Chiasm from Cross Eye Comics. And joining me is the, well, he's kind of the everything behind this title. Doug Knight joins me. Doug, welcome to the show, man. This is so cool that we are here talking. Super excited to be on, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, there is so much to cover with this story, but tell us first about just the story of Chiasm. Sure, man. Yeah, so it's um, <clears throat> a science fiction retelling of uh, my life as a childhood cancer survivor, um, but then you swap out chemotherapy with alien molecules. Um, and then it's not just uh, the person representing me, but it's like, all the kids of the time, like the early 90s that were sick with one affliction or another that qualified for the program. Um, so it's uh, it ends up expanding into like this great big galactic battle for intellectual property and like, you know, some romance. And there's all about living life as a legally blind person and superheroing while you're married and like all this other really fun stuff. So pretty much the exact same thing you're doing right now, right? Yeah, basically. <laughs> I like that. What made you want to do a story that was so close to your own life? Um, I believe that uh, that I've lived a pretty amusing anecdote, you know, till this point. Um, and uh, and I think that in becoming a better writer, you know, you write what you know, um, and that way you can learn how to form voices for other, um, you know, characters in your in your world as well. Um, and, uh, and I just, I think that like, if you can take something from your life that happened as a little tiny idea seed and grow it into like this great big mighty oak, um, that, uh, that other people can subscribe to and, and, you know, um, latch onto, then it's just kind of the power of what, what life was worth living. So I have the ability to draw, I have the ability to write and I have the stubborn, um, you know, stick to itiveness to not let much stop me. I like that, man. Yeah. And and you actually began doing this just kind of like for fun back in 2019. Uh, you got the first batches and you kind of like loved seeing your art, you know, on the page. Uh, yeah. How yeah. did you kind of grow the story from there, though? Um, <clears throat> I just kind of I did the Marvel method, man. I just draw stuff that I thought was fun and then came up with words to it. Um, you know, if I started to dry up on a uh, a thread, I would kind of you know, just draw from something else that's happened to me or a point in my life that, um, uh, you know, that is a ever present factor. And then I just kind of have fun with what I can do with it from there, you know, like, uh, yeah. So it was just a matter of, I just, I, you know, and, and then I'm also always thinking. So whenever I think about something new, I bank it away in the thing for issue 75 and, um, you know, just, just keep letting it all unfold. 
I want to uh, talk a little more about uh, Desmond Phillips. He is the main character of the story, as you mentioned, very uh, pretty much the same life um, as you have, except he has an alien molecule implanted in his optic chiasm, hence the name. You got it. To combat and eliminate the cancer in his head. What does this do for him, though? Without giving away too many spoilers. Uh, well, I mean, it. Uh, so the the alien molecule that is discovered, um, you know, it eliminates the threat of whatever cancer or disease uh, is afflicting the individual that it's given to. Um, and then it uh, enhances their life experience by um, connecting with the host or not, um, you know, and because it's such a, a hyper-intelligent um, molecule, uh, you know, the the memory of whoever it was or whatever it was um, connects to the host in which it's in. And so they can dialogue with it and stuff. Um, you know, so, uh, Desmond, because he pursues a creative lifestyle, um, ends up being able to develop like a, uh, a biomechanical, um, armor. So it becomes like a, uh, you know, big old tank of a, a superhero, a wrecking ball. Um, but there's a lot of like really fun things that I want to do about it, um, where you can kind of into like zanier aspects of it. Um, you know, the, the downfall for, um, his character is that, when the um, the molecules uh, leave the body to encompass him in the armor, um, then his point of view changes from like his actual eyes, and then they go to um, wherever the like the two glowing spots on the top of his hands. So all of a sudden, like his ability to see is like shifted downwards, and like if they leap out of the body, then he gets like this like horrible vertigo of like you know seeing several things from different angles and stuff. Um, so, and just like having fun with the idea of that kind of allowed me to continue to develop, um, how everybody's going to be affected. So a lot of it is going to be about, um, living life as an exceptionally abled individual. Um, so some people do it and they, um, nobody knows that they were ever sick and they don't ever talk about it. Um, and they are living happy lives, just being grateful that they've got what they've got. Um, other people will be twisted by the molecules and that like, um, the molecules might cure what ails them, but then they might enhance the negative aspects of it. Um, so it's going to introduce one of my uh, one of my big bads called nystagmus. Um, and he's just inspired by somebody that I grew up with going to uh, Camp CNIB, um, who we had very similar paths. But like instead of being like a great big, you know, husky fella, he's this little diminutive dude. And uh, and instead of like, you know, my parents that said, like, just leave well enough alone. His mother elected for him to have surgery on his eyes, and he had a whole other host of like negative experiences with that. Um, so, like, I want his character to be like, um, uh, it's going to be the molecule like enhances his like phase shift ability because his eyes are never st steady. So that like the molecule is going to like you know he'll be in a there's like a whole like um, page I have planned of like him sitting in a quiet room or like an observation room and then like phase, phase, phase and snapping people's necks, you know, and then he's out on the loose. I'm like, that's going to be like the big intro to him kind of thing. Um, you know, other characters, one of the big like um, female heroes in the universe, uh, her name is Ribbon. You know, I figured it was appropriate. It's a little bit cheesy, but it's on the point on the button. Um, you know, she's going to be a little girl that Desmond knows from when he went to uh, camp for kids with cancer who had a spinal cancer um, and then she, you know, the molecule bound, bound with her. She got wings, becomes, a, you know, a figure of uh, hope for all, you know, around her kind of thing. So, um, so it's just like, it's one of those things where it's like, 
you find something and then you know that if there's somebody that's affected by it in everyday life, it gives you an opportunity to write this incredible um, story to either put a little bit of fear in them or a little bit of hope in them or like a little bit of awesome around like everywhere. Hmm. I want to ask a little more about uh, Desmond's powers. Is this kind of how you want to be if you were like a superhero, have this biological armor? Yeah, I think so. For sure. Absolutely. Um, because of my my uh, uh, history with like being a tattoo artist and stuff, um, my my favorite like form of like, you know, um, body planning and stuff like that is utilizing biomechanic and bioorganic design styles. And so that's like when you see somebody with like a robot arm of tattooing or whatever, that's biomechanical. Or when you see them with like a bunch of abstract spikes and claws and like, you know, weird phallic looking things, you know, that's like... Uh, um, you're bioorganic, right? Um, so like the embodiment of like that, like a chiasm is an intersection of um, opposing thoughts, ideas, or elements. So I think the idea of having like the very like bone chiseled kind of organic half and the mechanical um, section is like, it, it ties very well into the theme. Um, and then the like excitement of kind of like, you know, you can technically draw, like you can have similar themes, but you can always change the armor up. Right. Like I want it to feel like a, an always evolving thing because I as a person, I get bored easy. And like, you know, I, if I can change every like if I could change my tattoos, I would change my tattoos, you know, but uh, it's kind of like the stabilizing point for my life. You know, now that you're talking about it, I kind of want one of these things, too. What's that? The uh, well, no, the uh, the bio armor. It sounds uh, it just sounds mm. like a really cool thing. And, and like you said, you can change it. I mean, like how many superheroes do we have that look the same now? as he did back yeah. in 1960. Totally. Yep. Um, and like, I think like McFarlane was always pretty good about kind of letting people take the idea of spawn and just badassing it. However they wanted to do it. Um, and like, I, I'm not going to bury any leads here, man. I'm a, I'm a big fan of like what he started and, and you know um, what he means to me uh, from my childhood and stuff. So like, you know, the idea of like being able to turn this story into something where I can tell all the all the tales that I want to tell about my life and take it to a crazy like pivot point. And then like someone else comes in from France and like, ah, this is cool. But I, we love to do this to his armor, you know, I'd be like, all right, man, do it. You know, like it's just to be like have carte blanche, but just know that like as long as it kicks ass, you know, and like for for there not to be any pressure on fan art where like, um, you know, kids are going to be nervous to come up and show me something because they didn't get like you know, the, the, the mohawk on the head. Perfect. Right. Like, you know, I, I think that like with creativity and awesomeness, like just to like kind of let loose and have fun a little bit and then be able to reinvent, you know, like um, every once in a while, just a product tested even. Right. Um, you know, the, the helmet itself is inspired by the first superhero that I drew called Frank, the kamikaze cuckoo. Um, and it was like a real like cartoony looking like Looney Tunes character with like big Jack muscles um, but I like sat down one night and I like just like angled all the features and just turned into like this weird like cyber bird looking kind of thing. And I was really happy with what I got out of it. So cool, man. So cool. And Spawn was definitely my, I think it was kind of like my first introduction into how different comic art could be. Because before that, mm -hmm. I read a lot of, like Marvel and DC and they sort of conform to I, I want to say like a set guideline. But Spawn was just like, fuck that crazy yeah. capes and spikes and everything like that so yeah i really and like and theology and like everything like nothing was safe right like it was the first one that really like uh challenged well i don't want to say the first one because that is a disservice to like um comics as like a like the outlaw comics and stuff but um 
you know, I think the first like real mainstream title that where people were just like, oh, ooh, I don't know if I should be reading this, you know. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, especially with the violence too, because once again, yeah. other titles usually had a, a line they wouldn't cross, and Spawn's like, nope, you know, blood and guts yeah. all day long. Well, it was like my my favorite kind of like uh, you know story from that whole thing was that like his wife quit working with him over like the the Billy Kincaid issue four kind of controversy, right? Like. I, I love that part of it. Like, you know, and he's just like, don't print it. I'm going to go for it. <laughs> don't print that. I'm printing it. Don't print that. I'm printing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. So, um, so yeah, for sure. Like my, um, cause my childhood was spent in the hospital. Um, you know, my, my catharsis, like I was, I, I always tell like, if I ever talk to like friends from like, you know, my adolescence and like early twenties, I generally like, I, I don't apologize for much now, but like, when I speak to them, I'll, I'll work it into the conversation where it's like, I understand that I was like such an angry teen and an angry kid. And like, you know, um, maybe it's because of how I was, I was processing. Maybe it's because I was different than everybody. Um, but like, I, I used to hold on to so much like frustration for everything. Um, and I think that like, especially at an early age, um, darker comics like Spawn and stuff like that were, um, were the first uh, visual stories where I could lock onto and it's like blood was blood you know you knew that like I didn't have to read anything that I couldn't see um and I didn't have to try to like look in between the lines it's like someone just had their skull smashed in because they drew someone having their skull smashed in it wasn't like a, a wall of text explaining how violent it was and you know and I you have to fill in the blanks like there's no blanks to be filled in um so that as a visual storytelling aspect to me was always like really appealing and like the the renaissance of digital coloring and stuff too right so you had like you know you started to be able to decipher what the mood of a speech bubble was because they had like the ectoplasmic green with the blue fade and you know you kind of knew what the intention was based off of the colors that they were inserting into the story um and so like that kind of all ties into my my love for dynamic storytelling like regardless of the subject matter how did comics come into your life in the other uh, first place oh, yeah so I was at a party um, for like my so my first comic book was given to me at a, my dad's buddy's house. Um, and his son was just like, oh, Doug, you like superheroes. Check this out. And he gave me issue 68 of Spawn. And that's like this issue where it's like Spawn silhouetted on this like pile of gore with this river of blood running off the page. And like. The little kid in me was just like, oh, this is awesome, you know? And so, like, so that was, like, my my first, like, you know, gifted comic book from, like, the cooler old kids. Um, and then, uh, but, you know, growing up, it was, like, the X-Men animated series. And the same thing that you hear from everybody that was influenced by, you know, Saturday morning cartoons. Um, you know, and it's, like, the I was that kid that used to watch TV. Like, you know, I was six inches away from it because that's what my comfort zone was. And a commercial would be like, oh, that's that's mine. I want that. I want that. Hey, dad, I want that. Hey, you know, so it was like you saw biker mice from Mars and street sharks and like all the awesome toys from like the, the early 90s. And uh, and I just like, I, you know, that was that thing where it's like you would have an understanding of what Spider-Man was because they were able to take it from the comic book pages and then serialize it for Saturday morning cartoons. Um, so that really spoke to my inability to not read. Uh, or my inability to read, and then like still allowed me to connect to the storytelling of uh, sequential art. I absolutely loved the X Men animated series. 
absolutely loved that series. And I think I was already into comics when I started watching that, but that definitely secured yeah. it for me. I was like, I want to read all these comics and see who these people are. Yeah, it's the first cartoon that used black in a very uncomfortable way too, right? Like, because I think it, did it precede the Batman animated series? Yes. Yeah, and then so, because Batman animated series, like they took it to the level where like black was illegal. Right. Like they, they had like they had to make augmentations for that. But I remember um, like even before the Spider-Man series, like the, um, the the black colors and all the like the, the heavy blocking and stuff of the animated series for X-Men. It really challenged your ability to track what was on screen, too, which I always thought was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I want to ask about getting into comics as a writer and an artist. When did this begin for you? Basically, like in answering like the supply chain questions, basically, like, you know, it's like uh, if I can do something, why ought I not do it um, when, you know, it's the story that I want to tell and it's the art that I want to do um, and I don't have to, you know, wait for anybody to, you know, work three jobs to get around to my project or I, have, I don't have to worry about like paying somebody for something that I can't afford to do right now. Like, I just, I believe that like, you know, there, if you can do it, you can get better at it, you know? And so it's like, my first book was probably pretty choppy if I were to go back and read it now. But I know by my ninth book, I was able to get a little bit funnier and a little bit more, uh, you know, esoteric and like, just kind of have more fun creating voices and stuff. Um, and so I just, I think that like, um, you know, to truly back your own, um, you know, back your own cart with the horse is like to, to be able to say that, like, at the very least for the first, you know, thousand mind numbing hours, you have your hand on every element of it um, so that you deserve whatever comes to you in the future so that you can, you know, have your own standards for what you expect out of, you know, your product and your brand. Hmm. Given that, do you find it hard to say we're done? No, because there's always the next issue. I like that. I like that. Um, I get. I get. Yeah, it's such like a rain... I, I think of anything. It's like uh, timing, right? Like good comedy is all about the timing, and good storytelling. It's all about like you know, if you have a panel of like um, you know somebody like in one of my books, like a dude swallows an eyeball and it explodes his head. And the first time that I drew that, it was like um, you know. Uh, one page section of story followed up by a big splash page. But then I was like, well, I can turn this into two pages of like, you know, several panels where you see like the whole thing, the uncomfortable aspect of like the eyeball wriggling into his mouth. And, um, you know, and then you turn the page and then the explosion is the surprise. Right. Um, and so I think that like, um, as far as from an editorial sense um, with tattooing, you know, you're done when the customer is happy walking out the door and you're divvying up your split with the shop. Right. Um, so it's like, there's this, there's this thing where it's like, if I've committed to creating permanent art on clients and friends, you know, you kind of have this, this checklist of like, okay, this is good. 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 And next time that's going to be better. 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 Um, and so I just think that like, um, as I, as I create and I develop, you know, sometimes I'll come up with a faster formula for coloring and I'll be happy with it. Sometimes I'll come up with a, a faster way of penciling so that I can ink cleaner over it and then that'll work too. 
Um, and I just think that like the, the one are you, I don't think you're ever done. I think that's the thing is it's like, like when you know that you've done it enough that like you're done that page and it's to your formula and like, um, you know, there's no secret weird penis shapes hiding anywhere, you know, that you can get called out on then like, then that's good. You know, like, uh, and so that's, that's where it is. Like, I just like, I just do the checklist and then it's done for now and it's in the review. And then the next one, um, I'm going to strive to do better. I think you want the hidden penis shapes. Isn't that kind of like fun for the readers? It's, uh, it's just good practice from, uh, from tattooing, you know, don't, yeah. um, don't penis any tree, any, uh, any tree branches or anything. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, fair uh, enough. you know, but, but there is uh there's a scene from, um, Chiasm Zero. I'll show you. It's kind of, it was pretty funny. It was like the, the raciest thing that I've done. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Look at that. I'm breaking my bag and boarded copy just for you, Max. Oh my God. The honor, the privilege, the privilege that I'm experiencing uh, on this episode. You're moving her from uh, his original packaging. It's no longer a collectible. No. Let's see. Okay, one one more isn't gonna hurt. I was I was so eager for the process that uh, that I had everything printed ahead of time. Okay, so I made the uh, the shape uh, of the apple that the eyeballs diving towards just very bootylicious. Uh, <laughs> and I figure it's just like one of those things where it's like when people. Like people that are gonna see are gonna see, but then like the the like the, the kids who are reading are just gonna be like, oh, he's going to an apple. And then like 14 years, you know, maybe 10 years later, they're gonna look at it and be like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> that's a butt. That's definitely a butt. So yeah, that's a that's a big old juicy apple booty right there. There you go. <laughs> hey kids, find the ass, get a prize. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, oh man! Uh, you know, you at, uh, you mentioned a couple times that you work in tattoos, and I'm curious about: does one like influence the other, the tattoo work and the comic work? It boils down primarily to work ethic. Um, I have developed that ability to draw, carry on a conversation, think about the next step, um, and not waste time doing it. And I still draw at a very fast pace for most people. And my brain keeps up with that. Um, from that's like, that's like the basic thing is the work ethic. And it's like knowing that you have to put the work in if you want to get paid at some point on some level for the quality of your product. Um, from a design sense, when you're working um, on paper, Similar rules apply in that, like, you need to know how to structure your pencil, your inks, um, your color so that they make so it makes sense and that you control your bleeds and stuff like that. Um, but when it's digital, there's no rules. It's just like it's kind of like the ultimate freeing factor where it's like I've got a page full of black and then I've got like a digital brush that's a lightning bolt that I just go <laughs> and all of a sudden I can illuminate a creature in the in a swamp, you know, like um, so it's kind of freeing in that sense. And I think that like um, going back to tattoo designing after that, you have to be like, okay, okay, okay. There's no magic light brush here. You have to be the light brush, you know? Um, and so I think that like, um, that's what the, like the, the closest comparison and um, you know, non-comparable factors are. I think that the other thing that the tattoo industry is very good about is breeding character. Um, and so you know, the the criticism that I've received for being a blind guy working in a tattoo industry um, is probably a lot harsher than like the eye to eye confrontation I might ever experience with 
a reader who's just really pissed off at me for, you know, I don't know, underserving the lisped population or something, right? Like, because it's a lot easier for me to pick up my pencil and say, jump on board, you know, than it is for me to like, you know, get my tattoo machine and say, you want to do it? Which I've done before, you know, <laughs> but like, um, you know, I just think that like preparing yourself for, um, you know, public engagements is also very good because customer service is first um, and the work has to back up how good you are to the people around you. Hmm. Have you ever gotten any feedback ideas you thought, huh, you know what, that actually is a good idea. I should try that out sometime. I think that I'm receptive to everything. Uh, so if somebody tells me something, then, uh, you know, I, I'll do my best to apply it. Um, I haven't, without doing anybody any disservices, um, I haven't off the top of my head um, found, like, gotten anything, like, super dramatic from a creative, um, an artistic sense, though. Um, I had a meeting with uh, uh, one of the um, former players from LKC, and um, they had suggested that maybe I balance some of my blues in my book so that they're tonally correct across the whole cohesive experience. And I remember thinking to myself at first, it was just like, it was like, that's a good point. And then I like, I did it. I was like, that was a really good point. Um, and so from an editorial sense, um, it was good to kind of take that and not fight it. Um, but then in that same conversation, that person suggested that I changed, uh, I would change um, one of the uh, color schemes to one of the major players in the book, um, at which point I had to say, no, that's my vision. That's what it's got to be. And this is why it is. Um, so it, it was also important in the process of learning what to bend, where to bend, where to break and where to like take root. Um, the one of the like most frustrating, um, you know, points that I ever received, which was like, you know, it was just a jab because it was like one dark cloud in a sea of like, you know, effervescent blues um, was my buddy that was helping me promote originally put me up onto Reddit and he got me into that. And then like, you know, everybody was like, rah, rah, you're like, go, go, man, you're doing great. And then one person was just like, you know, your first idea doesn't have to be your only idea. Right. And so I was just like, I was like, oh, you saucy brat, you know, and like, I let it really like get to me, but then I had to develop that um, the armor of like, you know, don't let it get to you. You know, like it, it might not be the best idea, but it's my idea and I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to grow it to however I want to grow it, you know? And, um, and so that's, that's kind of where I've got for, for feedback and, uh, and points to grow. Now, earlier you talked about LKC, which is of course, lesser known comics, a friend of the show, a great uh, company folks, check out their work. Definitely. Um, and they're mm -hmm. actually involved with this. They're actually handing handling the printing and fulfillment for backers outside of Canada. Uh, how'd you get partnered with them and what's it been like working with them? Mark uh, Bernal, Dan Price from uh, Bigfoot Nose Karate, um, and uh, Brett from Indie Comics Dispatch and myself, we were all on a, uh, on a Tales from the Dispatch one night. Um, and I, you know, I'm a pretty solo entity, so I didn't know who anybody was. Um, and uh and when it wrapped like we we're all friends um so i still talked to dan I still talked to mark mark reached out to me and he's just like you know um would you would you try lettering one of my titles and so i was just like yeah man sure i'll do anything you know P puts food on the plate i'll uh i'll give it all a go um so i did it and um the project like 
uh, I guess there was a, a miscommunication where it was like, um, you know, I guess I was too wordy in my reply. So he might have taken that as I'm too busy. So I did the project anyways. Um, and uh, he's like, oh, we had to go a different direction and other things, you know, played a factor in it. So it didn't really work. Um, but I still want to work with you. Um, and at that point, I was like full steam ahead on completing my book and like starting to come up with my strategy for releasing. And like, um, you know, I was being patient, kind of waiting for the other really cool projects that they're working on over the last, uh, you know, nine months to um, wrap on Kickstarter and stuff like that. But like, you know, at the back of my brain, there was like that flag that was just like, you know, you built this hill you got to stand on it by yourself and if other people can catch up and be friends with you that's how it's going to really work um so i was talking to mark about it i was like listen man i want to i want to move forward um you know and i think that there's a really strong way where we can sail the ship of part you know like partnership kind of thing where it's like um you know just because you like you can sail you can work under the umbrella with each other but like you can still represent the brand that you've built um, and, and from the get go, Mark was just like, you know, if I print anything for you, I just want like a little byline that says produced by lesser known comics, but I want you to maintain cross eye comics because it's a brand that I think is incredible. And, um, you know, and I, I want to, I want to like encourage all indie artists to like, you know, join up, but flourish for themselves. Um, and so this is our, our first like, um, crack at, um, me handling everything, uh, you know, on my end and on my side of the border, and then him being ready to help fulfill and print in the U.S. Um, for beneficial reasons like, uh, you know, shipping that costs the same across the board um, and, you know, uh, some states-based incentives for LKC supporters and stuff like that. So um, it, it's really like it's a, it's a, like I call it the handshake, right? Because it's like this demonstration of like positivity and like two creative like juggernauts that have nothing but uh, good things to offer a community that, you know, is growing into a more positive place for creators. Mm. That actually reminds me, I think, of uh, something that you post one day. It was kind of like announcing the partnership and it really was like yeah. this like drawing of an actual handshake between uh, between yeah. the two sides. That was so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of my uh, one of my tiers is the handshake package. And it's kind of where I uh, where you can. Uh, get the chiasm content but then um, some of the top picks from like the or some of the like the first titles from lkc um and then there's like a doug's picks tier where you get chiasm plus um some of my favorite books from the uh the lkc library um and uh and some other like really cool things where again you we've been able to diversify what my kickstarter can offer people where it's like you know i can present and demonstrate other incredible indie comic book artists as well Let's talk more about your Kickstarter. This is running through August 28th. Uh, you had a goal of 586, and last time I checked, you were getting close to 1400. So you just yes. like destroyed your your original goal, uh, which I and congratulations, that's really amazing because you hear about Thanks, so man. many others that just kind of peter out. Unfortunately, what does that tell you though about the about the fan base and about the support you're getting? Um, it tells me that I'm on the right path, um, and I believe that no matter how monumental a step forward is, it's still a small step forward in like the journey of um, oneself. Um, so I think that like the more success that the Kickstarter achieves, the like, you know, the the happier like Lil D inside of me is just dancing around and like fist bump in the air and stuff. 
Um, but you know, the, the very serious father that I am now is, uh, you know, telling myself to temper expectations and know that, you know, it's not like, like every dollar that we accounted for, for this project is going somewhere to help grow chiasm and my ability to create that in my other titles. Um, so I'm just like, I'm really excited to see kind of like, like we're into like the lull, right. Where it's the middle of the project and like, you know, it's been slower rate of growth and, um, you know, I guess it would be easy for other people to say like, oh, okay, well, this is cool, but the ad's not working. I'm going to just let it run its course or whatever. But now I'm doubling down. I've got more interviews booked. I've got, um, I'm, I've been like hammering away at these like ridiculous prints that I've got that I'm going to be having as like uh, parts of my art lovers package and stuff like that. Um, and so I'm just like really excited to create this like promo in the next couple of days saying it's your final days to back. And then you're going to see all the print reveals and the variant cover reveal and like all this other really cool stuff. So like, it's almost like a re rejuvenation for the final stretch. Um, and I'm just excited to have uh, taken the, you know, the bull by the horns on this and to have had like a really good support system in Mark to help, you know, touch base. And he always, you know, hits me up. Hey man, how do you feel? You do you mind if I make a post just kind of updating people and, um, you know, and so it's, that's kind of like been the coolest part about it is again, like, um, as a vendor learning how to market and, um, you know, now I'm going to have to learn how to follow through on really good stuff for people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is this your first Kickstarter? Uh, it's my first solo Kickstarter. Ah. I was a part of, um, a project for the band murder by death. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Um, but they recently released an album and they had. 20 creators, pardon me, sorry, do um, three-page stories of a song, of their favorite song. Um, so I got to contribute to that. Um, and, like, it was kind of like, so last year, I created, like, a fan strip of one of my favorite songs for them. And they shared it, and it ended up blowing up. And, like, there was, like, all these comments below um, saying, you know, I would pay for this book. I want to see this happen. And, like, it's not for nothing, but I didn't see any other fan strips before that point. And then I would get an email saying, Hey, would you like to participate in this? And I was like, Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I, you know, I'm going to take like just the smallest sliver of credit for getting the ball rolling. Um, but their Kickstarter ended up doing like 440,000 or something like that. And so like, um, you know, and that you got like a LP with that. You got like the early release of their album. You got T-shirts and magnets and like comic books and all this other cool stuff. Um, and so to see that kind of like, you know, it's not it's not unachievable to be a part of that um, kind of gave me that boost to be like, well, I've got my account. I've been backing projects for the last, you know, two years now. Um, I think it's time for me to start. Uh, you know, put my big boy pants on and uh, and start selling some books. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. You know, I want to ask about uh, being legally blind and making comics. How did you have to adjust your learning? And uh, do you have to adjust kind of like how you like make the art? The art, I think, has been a very organic um, just development process of learning where to put people's faces so that you can... Um, get some speech bubbles or dialogue bubbles in there and it not, you know, ruin 20 minutes of detailing. Um, so that's, I think, just like a pretty natural thing that everybody um, develops. One of the, one of the things that 
was a big learning curve for me was um, learning how to manage the wall of text. Uh, when I started writing on top of my work, um, you know, I would go crazy working at like, I work everything digitally at double size. Um, so I would go off on this tangent of like trying to write this like intricate descriptive process. And then like, you know, by the time it was done, it looked like a magazine ad because there was all these like, you know, blurbs everywhere. Um, and when I sent that out to buddies, you know, uh, they would be like, this is cool. The artwork is fantastic but people get really bored by over reading in these books. Like it's about like the dynamic process of moving the story along. Um, so what I was able to kind of fall back into from there is that, you know, writing um, like doing computer-based fonts were a little bit too freeing as far as like how much space I was taking. So then I challenged myself to do all my lettering by hand digitally um so I could also tie the art back into my style and kind of speak from more of an organic point as well um and so I think that just by you know it's it's also the conflict of like I want to make books that every legally blind kid can read without having a strain um but, but unfortunately that limits you from a storytelling perspective because you can you go from being able to cram you know 14 words into a medium-sized bubble to like eight right and then all of a sudden it goes from being like this really strong story to like a monosyllabic like caveman love note you know like um so it, it that was like my biggest learning curve um as far as technical stuff like i've been drawing since i was six um or earlier who knows um so like the, my, my ability to work comfortably with what I have at my disposal, that's just like, that's all like everyday stuff. You know, like if I'm drawing with a pencil, I'm looking, you know, let's, let's do a live demonstration here. So if I'm drawing with like an analog pencil, then like, I'm basically here, right? It's good enough for me to focus, yada, yada, yada. If I'm doing it digitally, then I can zoom in to, you know, the nth pixel, and then I can just kind of relax a little bit and have more fun doing it that way, right? Um, so the technical, you know, um, availability is one thing, um, but it's just about it. I think it's as much about just learning how to make sequential art as it is um, doing it in a way where people find out after they read it that they can't see for shit. I get you. Do you enjoy the art more than the writing or vice versa? Oh, art first for sure. Yeah, um, I kind of figured. I think that uh, I think that if the art doesn't grab it, it's real hard for people to get drawn in by the writing, no matter the quality. Um, and so, like, if the writing is funny but the picture doesn't have any humor in it, um, it's it's tough to to sell that horse to the cow farmer, you know. Um, so I, I love to draw, like drawing first. So it's like if I can make like a snarky expression or something or, um, you know, my one of my protagonists, Lil D, is uh, this little guy behind me whose face is shrouded in black all the time. Um, so it's like you have like there's no eyes to express with. So it's like the attitude of his writing and then his body language from his nose down. Right. So that's a cool challenge that I kind of always hold myself to. Um, and I, like you know, the more that I draw and write, the more that I enjoy writing. Um, but like, I think that the, the arts always, 
Like I don't ever anticipate on being signed onto a book as head writer, you know, but I would like to get signed onto a book as lead artist, you know? And so I think it's just about, um, you know, being able to service myself uh, well enough for people to get both sides of the story when they engage in my artwork. Hmm. I want to ask about, about characters with disabilities in comics. We don't see a lot of it. Are you hoping this maybe kind of just adds a little more depth to that character pool? I think that my um, aim for, you know, representation in comic books is just to, just to reach one kid, you know, just one person that deals with something similar or looks similar. And then that makes them feel special. You know, I've got um, one of my books later down the line, I have a character who's in a wheelchair, who, um, you know, is who represents several of the people that I've known in my life, who I are the funniest people in my whole universe. And so in this book, like I had a lot of fun making him the cheeky, like, you know, guy in the chair. Um, and, uh, and like, just, you know, emphasizing like how funny this character is. So I had a lot of fun with that. So I want to like, I want to, be able to reach that element of everything um i grew up playing special needs hockey uh because my brain tumor doctor said maybe minimize like uh concussions right so i did my best my parents put me in a safe hockey league um and you know through that i was able to you know my right winger was a fellow with down syndrome who was like like just the guy could pick a puck out of the air better than most kids at like an elite level of hockey in this country um you know i had my defenseman or my defense partner was like had ADHD and like was, you know, fast, but skilled, you know, and like, but we all created this like ecosystem of like hysterically different individuals. And I think being able to like um, have that experience in my life and to be able to apply that to my writing um, and my character building, you know, I think it just like, it, it serves, it serves a little bit more than the, like every hero has to have a six pack and, you know, a physics degree. Yeah, I think we've seen some changes in that, but mm-hmm. it has been little by little as opposed to, like, there's this new character, um, I think they're called uh, Sun Spider, and they have a disability, I believe they're actually um, uh, wheelchair bound. And okay, so cool. we have seen some, you know, some change, uh, you know, kind of like venturing away from like the six packs and the perfect physiques and mm-hmm. so forth. But, you know, I would like to see a little, I'd like to see it change a, a little more quickly. Yeah, and I think that, like, by me introducing my own universe, um, there's no expectations for, like, um, like wokeness or anything like that. It's just, like, everybody's going to be different through my perspective, right? Like, um, you know, I've got another book that I'm working on um, called The Super Wicked White Cell Squadron, um, and it's, like, it's designed to be my all-ages punching monsters with giant robots and like kids wearing armor and um but like I've, I've got characters that are they thems and i've got characters that um like almost every character in the book is a um multinational like mix of something you know there's um like uh uh shereen Urbach, where she's part middle eastern part south african you know like because i grew up as a mixed individual so it's like I have this lens where it's like I know what it's like to not really fit in in certain demographics because, you know, I don't look 
darker over here than I am lighter over here or whatever. So, um, or am I comfortable saying certain things that other people can't say or whatever like this? I've lived in this kind of mingled thing where it's like, I think by introducing this all ages book to, you know, a kid who's in the hospital who just wants to see something awesome, but has like a secret that they don't want to tell their parents, but they see it in this book. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's cool. You know, like um, there's no expectations. So I can just have my run at making things accessible for everybody. Okay. I want to ask about Cross Eye Comics. This is your company. Uh, mm-hmm. How did this get started and what's the overall goal of it? You know, I think that as an independent kind of spirit, um, I realized that sometimes it's easier to get your foot in the ground by having your own flag than it is to try to knock at every big door and be, you know, marginalized and, and set aside with everybody else who's trying to knock at the same door. Um, and then I'm also sadistically funny about, you know, everything that I have to deal with. So I created Cross Eye Comics, and it's like the joke of it is, you know, primarily that my eyes are lazy, not crossed, right? So it already creates like that misguided standard of like, oh, I get it. He can't see because he's got cross eyes. But then they're like, well, who's the guy who like can't focus on left, right, or center? Um, but then also it's the, um, you know, normalizing abnormality is like my my overall focus of, um, you know, taking things that uh, people either see or don't see. And then just kind of putting it right on Main Street and, um, you know, you being able to enjoy it. What is next for you as you release Chiasm? Do you have like other mm-hmm. titles in mind? Yeah, I've got a few projects. I've nice. got, uh, um, so Chiasm, I uh, created and released nine issues digitally over the last few years. Um, and so by kind of introducing issue zero and the personality and kind of the um, you know, the range of attitude in there. Um, I can start to reformulate and bundle all the issues in three issue trade paperbacks um, that I can kind of, you know, take my time with now and refine and see what kind of a, a um, following I can gain with that. Um, but I also have the Super Wicked White Cell Squadron, which is my all ages book that I um, want to uh, get into every children's hospital. Um, you know, I know there's other people that are doing that, so we'll see if I work with them or if I end up taking that on as my own thing, you know, um, but that's, uh, that's a major thing that I want to strive towards as I kind of, you know, gain notoriety around the indie comics industry. Um, and then I also have a project, uh, called the man from scratch. That's a three issue graphic novel series about, uh, you know, getting inspiration, staying inspired um you know going back to the places that you've already been to um getting stuck in old ideas and how to break out of there um and it's just you know it's a a predominantly um non-worded book uh so it's just me like being able to paint really fun panels and um simplify like the the visual storytelling of it excellent excellent all right well doug man there's some other ones in there I've also got some projects that I'm working on with some other really cool cats. So I don't <laughs> want to talk about that, but oh. uh, there's some really some fun stuff. Ah, oh, come on, come on. You can tell me something. I won't tell everyone. I okay, probably we'll, we'll let it we'll let it stew. Exactly. Now that it's out in the ether, the excitement will bubble. Exactly. And and now you have a reason to to uh, come back on the show. 
I see what you're doing yes, there. Yes, exactly. I see what you're doing there. All right. Well, Doug, man, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate this, folks. You go to crosseyecomics, as it's spelled, .com. You'll find all the information. Follow the Kickstarter. It is good until August 28th. Yes, they have smashed their goal, but still, every dollar you, you put into this, you help bring this comic to life and get it out there for the whole world to see. And, Doug, man, looking forward to the next time we talk. Max, thanks so much, man. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Brian Murphy from One Time Mountain, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout with Max Bowen. Rock on! And that brings this episode to a close. Big thanks to Doug for joining me, and of course folks, check out the Kickstarter, links in the description, and there's still time to become a backer. You can follow the show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout, and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Get at me at citywidemax at yahoo.com and check this show out wherever you find your favorite podcast, as well as every Saturday at 10 p.m. on Boston Free Radio. That's all for now, and I'll see you next time.